0: Hello. Welcome to the Myths and Legends of Europe. Before we start this chapter, I'd just like to introduce you to something which I think you'll find very interesting. If you're interested in developing a habit of reading classic books by authors like Homer, Nietzsche, Cicero, Spinoza and many more, go to my website www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the Intellectual Linear Progression banner. ILP is designed to help you develop a regular habit of reading the great books. Weekly reading goals, reminders, accountability tools, and a dedicated community of fellow readers help keep you on track and on schedule with your reading. The check-in and reading goal system is designed to help you progress through the great books with just three one-hour reading sessions each week. Every month they will ship a carefully selected edition of one of the great books directly to your home They begin with Homer and progress through works by Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Shakespeare and through to the moderns. The first book you'll get will be a copy of the Iliad, which of course is very appropriate to this podcast series. Each month you'll meet in a two-hour video conference to discuss your text with a small community of readers in a Socratic seminar led by a trained Socratic host. So, if you are interested in developing a lifelong habit of reading and studying the great books, go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the ILP banner. That will take you to the site where you enter the promo code MYTH, that's M-Y-T-H, all capital letters. If you do that, you'll get 25% off your first three-month subscription to this great service. OK, on with the chapter. Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 24 A Happy Homecoming For Some The Greeks had won the Trojan War. They marched away from Troy, taking their war treasure and their prisoners with them. They weren't really marching away from Troy, though. They were marching away from a burning ruin. The flames rose from the place where the city used to be. Troy was gone. The Greek army arrived back at their ships and stopped sadly at the tomb of Achilles. Menelaus and Agamemnon stood together and looked over their victorious army. We must stay for a while and sacrifice to Athena, Agamemnon said. Menelaus, though, was eager to leave immediately. The two brothers, leaders of a great army who had just won a great victory, had a silly quarrel. Both did what they wanted to do. Menelaus sailed away with Helen and his men. Agamemnon stayed and sacrificed to Athena. Perhaps he thought the sacrifice would make the great Olympian like him and ensure that his homecoming was happy. If that's what he thought, he was very, very wrong. But we will hear about Menelaus and Agamemnon a little later. First, let's see what happened to some of the other people that we have come to know. Calchas, the seer decided to travel overland to avoid the difficulties of a long sea voyage. He reached the city of Colophon. Years before, Calchas had received a prophecy that he would die if he ever met a seer greater than himself. In Colophon lived a seer called Mopsos, who was the grandson of the great Tiresias. Calchas challenged him to a prophecy duel. Mopsos accepted, and both men predicted how many figs were growing in a nearby tree. Mopsos got it right. Calchas was very worried, and challenged Mopsos to a rematch. Both men then predicted how many piglets a pregnant pig would give birth to. Confidently, Calchas stepped forward and declared that eight piglets would be born. Mopsos laughed. No, my friend, you are wrong, he said. There will be nine piglets. They will all be male and they will be born tomorrow during the sixth hour of the day. When Mopsos turned out to be a 100% correct, poor old Calchas died of a broken heart. Neoptolemus also travelled over land after getting some good advice from his grandmother, Thetis. He took Andromache and Helenos with him married Andromache, and settled in Epirus. There are many accounts of what happened to the son of Achilles, and we don't know which to believe. All of them end up with him suffering a violent death at Delphi, after which Andromache married Helenos. Philoctetes travelled home safely to Meliboa, where he settled down to rule. Unfortunately there was a revolt, and he had to flee for his life. He settled in Italy, and lived a long and happy life. Menelaos, Diomedes, Nestor and Odysseus set sail for Greece straight away. It seems, though, that Agamemnon had been right. King Norpolis, keen to have revenge for the death of his son Palamedes, lit beacons to help the ships find their way home. Wait a minute, being helpful doesn't sound like a very good way of getting revenge, does it? And no, it wouldn't have been, except that Norpolis deliberately lit them in the wrong place and many of the ships hit rocks and sank. The gods were also against them. The weather was terrible and on the island of Tenedos the remaining leaders had another massive quarrel. The four kings all set off separately. Odysseus and his ships sailed back to the shores of Troy in order to set sail again for Ithaca and home. He thought he could find his way more easily from there. We will follow his long journey home in the next chapter. Nestor went straight home and returned to being king of Pylos. He lived a long life and died peacefully. Diomedes arrived home in Argos after an easy journey. He was highly annoyed to find that everything had been fine and lovely in his kingdom while he'd been away. The people had a new king who ruled them well and they were not at all pleased to see the great hero and his men back. Diomedes decided he'd had enough of war and fighting so he didn't fight against the new king. He just sailed away in disgust. Eventually he arrived in Italy where he founded a new kingdom, married again and lived a long and happy life. Menelaus and Helen tried to sail home to Sparta. Poor Menelaus and poor Helen were not destined to get home for a long, long time. They hit a violent storm off the Peloponnese and were driven all the way to Egypt by terrible winds. They were shipwrecked and their ship destroyed. The king and queen of Sparta spent eight years travelling around North Africa, gathering treasure, all the while planning how to get back to their city. After eight years, Menelaos was told by a nymph he must capture the sea god Proteos, who would tell him how to get home. This was not going to be easy. Like many other gods, Proteos could change shape and become anything else he wanted to become. Menelaos and his friends came upon the sea god sleeping among some seals and grabbed him. They held on tight, while Proteos changed into a serpent, then a panther and then a boar. After this he became running water and then a leafy tree. Still, Menelaos hung on and eventually Proteus gave up. He changed back into his normal form and gave the prophecy. Your brother Agamemnon was murdered many years ago, he said. You must raise a cenotaph to him in Egypt, then you will return home easily. Menelaos did what he was told and then set sail for home. This time the winds were with him and he and Helen returned at last to Sparta. They arrived just in time to see Agamemnon's son, Orestes, marry their daughter, Hermione. But more of this soon. Menelaus and Helen ruled Sparta for many more years. Agamemnon had waited near the ruins of Troy and sacrificed to Athena, just as he said he would. Then he and his men set sail for Mycenae. The winds were helpful to him, and he arrived home safe and well before too long. He had been away for ten years. For ten years Clytemnestra's hatred of her husband grew. She could not forgive him for the death of Iphigenia. She had decided that Agamemnon did not deserve to be her husband, and she had married another man, Aegisthos. When she heard that the city of Troy had been sacked, she knew Agamemnon would be home soon. She planned her revenge. She sent her son Orestes away to live with his uncle, so he would not be there when she did whatever she was going to do to his father. Aegisthos was hidden away in the palace. Agamemnon did not know any of this, of course. He thought he would be returning home in triumph. When he arrived, it seemed he was right. Clytemnestra ran out of the palace and greeted him although as though she was delighted to see him. The king of kings entered his palace on a purple carpet fit for the glorious leader of the Greeks. He strode into the palace, followed by the captured Trojans, including Cassandra and loads of treasure. As Cassandra walked into the palace, she cried out, There is death in this place, death for me and death for you, King Agamemnon. Did anyone believe her? No, of course not. Was she right? Yes, of course she was. Agamemnon took no notice at all. He stepped into the great hall of his palace, decorated beautifully for his return. Clytemnestra took him up to his great marble bathroom and offered to wash him to clean off the stains of war. Agamemnon took a long bath and his wife tended to him. He stepped out of the bath, feeling on top of the world. The great king returned from battle into the arms of his family. He was starting to wonder where Orestes and his other children were, but he put these thoughts out of his mind as he stepped out of the bath. Clytemnestra carefully dried her husband and then handed him a beautiful new shirt she had brought for him. He looked at her and smiled, not knowing this would be the last thing he ever saw, and then he put the shirt on over his head. Agamemnon... King of Kings realised there was something wrong when he couldn't put his arms through the sleeves. The ends of the sleeves had been sewn up. He realised something was very wrong when he tried to put his head through the neck hole. That had been sewn up too. He was in the process of realising that something was very, very wrong when he became incapable of realising anything. Clytemnestra brought an axe down on his head. Agisthos ran out of his hiding place and finished him off. Agamemnon, King of Kings, was dead. Clytemnestra then took the axe and killed poor, unlucky, unbelieved Cassandra too. Clytemnestra and Agisthos ruled Mycenae for the next seven years. Orestes remained in hiding. Agisthos had wanted to have him killed too, but Clytemnestra was his mother and she refused. Agisthos was always worried that Orestes might return and he treated Agamemnon's other children badly too. Eventually, Orestes' sister, Electra, persuaded him the time was right to overthrow Aegisthos. Orestes visited Delphi to ask whether he should kill his mother, as she had killed his father. Apollo, speaking through the oracle, commanded him to do the deed. Orestes killed Aegisthos, and the people of Mycenae rejoiced. When he killed Clytemnestra, though, the people weren't so happy. Orestes was judged by the Olympians for his crime. Six voted that he be killed and six voted he should live and be king of Mycenae as usual Athena had the casting vote she voted that he should live Orestes returned to Mycenae and became its ruler he married Hermione daughter of Menelaus and Helen the son of Agamemnon became the king of his kingdom when many years later Menelaus died Orestes and Hermione became king and queen of Sparta too they ruled well and lived for a long time So, now we know what happened to those who fought at Troy. Most of them are dead, a few have survived. There are only two whose fates we do not yet know, one Greek and one Trojan. We left Odysseus floating around somewhere in the Aegean trying to get home. We saw Aeneas escape from Troy and begin a long journey to find a new home. In the last two and a half chapters, we will find out what happened to them. The story of the journey home of Odysseus is the last tale of Greek myth. The story of the flight of Aeneas is not a Greek myth, but a Roman one. We will tell his tale anyway, as it is a fitting end to the stories of the Trojans. The original book about the flight of Aeneas, called the *Aeneid*, was written in Rome, and in it the gods have their Roman names. We will continue to use the Greek names, or it's going to get very confusing. So, we will leave the story of Odysseus until the next chapter. Let's find out what happened to Aeneas. The last surviving Trojan noble escaped from Troy with his family, carrying his father, and he ran to Mount Ida. There he gathered up a small band of followers, and they constructed a fleet of ships. After a few weeks, they set sail in search of a new home. It wasn't long before they landed in Thrace. Aeneas went ashore and decided this looked like a great place for a new city. Unfortunately, the gods didn't agree. A warning came up from the ground that they should leave this cruel land forever. Aeneas did as he was told. The next place they arrived was the island of Delos. Aeneas went ashore and decided this looked like a great place for a new city. Unfortunately, the oracle told them otherwise. Seek out your ancient mother, it said, for there the house of Aeneas will rule over the whole world. The Trojan survivors sailed off towards Crete, as this was where Aeneas's recent ancestors had come from. Aeneas went ashore and decided this looked like a great place for a new city. This time, they even started building. Unfortunately, a plague hit the Trojans and they began to die. Aeneas had a dream where he was told that he had misunderstood the oracle. He had to found a city in the place where an ancient ancestor had come from. He was told he must sail to Italy. They set sail again and soon landed in the Strophides Islands, here they were attacked by the harpies. Aeneas went ashore and decided this was definitely not a great place for a new city. He and his men fought the harpies off. They flew away, all except a harpy called Caelano. She flew down and hissed at Aeneas, You will only found a city after you have suffered so badly from hunger you eat your own table. She laughed a screeching laugh and flew away. They set sail yet again. Soon they arrived in Epirus, where Helenos and Andromache were king and queen. They had built a new city and were trying to rule wisely. Andromache, though, still learned for her lost home and missed her Hector and little son Astyanax every day. They made Aeneas and his men welcome, and Helenos made yet another prophecy. He told Aeneas he must found his new city in a place where he found a white pig with thirty piglets. They set sail yet again, once again. On they sailed, past an island on which a blind cyclops was screaming out in rage and pain. As they were heading towards Sicily, Aeneas's father died. He was buried on the island. Aeneas was very sad as he had not been able to say goodbye. He vowed he would find a way. The Trojans prepared for the last leg of their journey. They tried to sail north towards the coast of mainland Italy, but Hera interfered. She didn't want any of the Trojans having an easy time after the war, and she ordered Aeolus, guardian of the winds, to blow them in the opposite direction. The ships were blown and ravaged by the wind, and it seemed as if they were all going to be destroyed. Poseidon, feeling sorry for Aeneas, calmed the seas, and the ships landed safely in Libya. In the land of Libya was a great new city. It would come to be one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. In mythology, the city was founded by its first queen, and it was she who Aeneas met when he arrived. The queen's name was Dido and the city was called Carthage. Aphrodite wanted her son to be happy and she wanted him to find love. So, of course, she interfered. She made Dido fall in love with Aeneas. Aeneas was perfectly happy with this arrangement. Dido was very beautiful and great fun to be with. Zeus, though, knew that it was not meant to be. He sent Hermes down to Aeneas to remind him of his destiny. He was meant to found a new city, not lays around in Carthage having a great time with his new girlfriend. Poor Aeneas knew he had to leave. Dido pleaded and pleaded with him not to go, but he went anyway, leaving her his sword. Dido could not bear to live without him, and once he had sailed away over the horizon, she killed herself with the sword that Aeneas had left. Eventually, the Trojans arrived in Cumae in Italy, This was the home of the famous prophetess known as the Sibyl, The priestess of Apollo welcomed Aeneas. She looked at the weary traveller and frowned. ''You have something on your mind,'' she said. ''What is troubling you?'' ''It's my father,'' replied Aeneas sadly. ''We escaped from Troy together and journeyed across the seas. I was hoping we would build a new city together, but he died on the voyage. I wanted to say goodbye to him properly, but I never got the chance. Do you think I could go to the underworld and see him one last time?'' "'The Sybil laughed. "'Going to the underworld is easy,' she said. "'It's coming back that's a bit harder. "'Very few have tried, and fewer have succeeded. "'Only Orpheus and the great Heracles went down "'and came out with the blessing of Hades. "'But Hades will accept a visit from you. "'Go and find a golden tree branch as a gift for Persephone, "'and you can enter the underworld. "'I will come with you.' "'Aeneas was led to the golden branch by doves sent by Aphrodite.' Like Orpheus and Heracles before him, he travelled down into the underworld. He and the Sibyl crossed the Styx, and she threw a drugged cake to Cerberus. He ate it and promptly fell asleep. In the underworld, Aeneas met many shades. He tried to apologise to Dido, but she turned away and refused to talk to him. He met Deiphobus, who told him how he had been killed and chopped up by Menelaus. Eventually, in the Elysian fields, he saw his father. Three times Aeneas tried to give his father a hug, but a shade is a shade, and there was nothing to grab hold of. Aeneas's father told him that the future would bring great things for his new city. Aeneas said goodbye to his father, just as he had wanted to, and returned to the surface. The Trojans arrived on the shores of a place called Latium. Aeneas went ashore and decided this looked like a great place for a new city. And this time it was, but the poor Trojans had nearly run out of food, They ate everything they had left off white thin platters that looked like tabletops. They were so hungry, they ate the wheat platters too. Aeneas realised this was what the harpy had meant. They were eating their own tables. This really was the place for the city. They began to build. Unfortunately, there were already people living in Latium. They were known as the Latins. Their king, Latinus, was happy to welcome the newcomers. The king offered his daughter, Lavinia, in marriage to Aeneas, as a prophecy had said that she should marry someone from outside Latium. Hera, though, still hated the Trojans and sent the Furies to trigger a war between them and the Latins. The Latins were led by Turnus, Lavinia's old boyfriend. Aeneas was horrified when he saw the forces massed against him. He went to sleep very troubled. In the morning, though, he woke up to a wondrous sight. There... Down by the river was a white pig. With the pig were 30 piglets. There could be no mistake. This was the place for his city. There was no chance of him building the city yet, though. There was a terrible war with the Latins, which only ended when Aeneas killed Turnus. In the end, the last Trojan survivor never got the chance to finish building his city. That will be left to his son. We will leave the last bit of Aeneas's story until the end of our chapters about the Greek myths. Next time, we will tell the tale of Odysseus' 10-year journey home to Ithaca. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.